Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, with days to go before a government shutdown, Congress is paralyzed by infighting. The arsonists have lit their house on fire. They're whining about their house burning. Fiery words from top Republicans who worked through the weekend to find a way forward on funding the government before month's end. Will you work with Democrats? Look, uh, I believe we have a majority here and we can work together to solve this. Can Republicans unify and strike a deal that also works for the Democratic-controlled Senate? We'll have the latest on negotiations. Then... Our immigration system is absolutely broken and Congress needs to fix it. America's southern border is under strain once again with migrant crossings on track to hit record highs. We'll ask Texas Republican Tony Gonzalez what he is seeing in his district and whether the issue could complicate spending negotiations on Capitol Hill. Plus... No justice! No peace! The labor protest targeting America's big three automakers expands as workers in 38 locations in 20 states go on strike. We'll hear this morning from Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's headed to Missouri later today to join a picket line. Arizona Democratic Senator Mark Kelly just got back from a trip to Ukraine. We'll ask him what he learned. Former Trump National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien will also join us. And finally, a conversation with the First Lady of Ukraine, Olena Zelenska, about the horrors of war and the hard work of healing. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. It's setting up to be another consequential week in Washington with just a few days to go before a possible government shutdown unless Congress strikes an 11th hour deal to fund it. We'll get to that in a moment, but we begin with New York Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the expanding auto worker strike. Good morning to you. Good morning. This strike now in 20 states. I know you are headed to Missouri later to strike outside a GM facility. The president goes to Michigan Tuesday. 
He only announced that after Donald Trump said he was going to UAW strike. Do you think injecting this high level of presidential politics complicates getting a settlement? Well, I think right now we are in such a crisis in our economy, a crisis of inequality, that it is going to take a level of political and popular support, unlike that that we've seen in a strike situation like this in recent and modern history, in order for us to get a breakthrough. Uh, what we've seen at the big three are CEOs giving themselves as much as a 40 percent a wage and, and compensation increase, while workers have actually seen a real wage decrease over uh, over the last 10 to 15 years. And in order for us to break that norm, I think it's going to take an unprecedented level of involvement uh, to make sure that workers get what they deserve here. UAW's president, when he was with us last week, said when I asked him why the union hadn't yet endorsed President Biden, he said that has to be earned. Mm-hmm. That sounds like he's disappointed that party leadership is not doing as much as they could. Do you agree with that? Well, I think it always has to be earned. And President Biden showing up to the picket line on Tuesday is a historic, historic event. We have never seen in modern history a president show up to a picket line like this. And I think it should be earned. It needs to be earned. And uh, I believe that President Biden— is is working towards that, especially when he lands in Michigan on Tuesday to earn that. You know, one of the things that's happening in the auto industry, as you know, is this um, market shift and transition to electric vehicles. You were quoted back in July saying you look forward to buying a union made electric vehicle, but you buy but you currently have a non union made mm-hmm. Tesla. UAW already makes some electric vehicles. So yes. why wasn't that? Is it a problem with the the quality? Is it a problem with the style? Is the market just not there? Uh, no. The, our car was purchased uh, during the pandemic when travel, mass, before a, a vaccine had come out. So travel between New York and Washington, the safest way that we had determined was an EV, but that was prior to um, some of the new models coming out on the market that had the range available. Uh, but we're actually looking into trading in our car now. So we're looking into it and Hopefully we will soon. Elon Musk, who uh, has a majority share in Tesla, has said a lot of things against the unions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these electric vehicle battery manufacturing plants as well are not unionized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's tension here. Yes. Yeah. And it's something that I have been uh, speaking with uh, President Fain about because one thing that we're all on the same page about is that we do not want the transition from a fossil fuel economy to an electric economy to to represent an erosion in the unionization and rights of workers. You're quoted in The New York Times in August as saying immigration is arguably this administration's weakest issue. Mm -hmm. What did you mean? Well, you know, I think the politics around immigration in the United States is to no surprise to many people, one of the most contentious issues. We saw this dramatically inflamed under President Trump, but it remains to be a very controversial and contentious issue. And that makes, I believe, that makes enacting enacting some of the policy changes necessary much more complicated and difficult. Now, this week, after 
perhaps almost a year of pushing from both the Hispan the Congressional Hispanic Caucus to the New York delegation in Congress. Uh, we pushed to make sure that the Biden administration extended temporary protective status, otherwise known as TPS for Venezuelans, which will allow and open the pathway for Venezuelan migrants to actually begin working and supporting themselves, which will reduce the strain on our public systems, particularly New York's shelter system and more. That's right. 500,000 Venezuelans, but only if they came here before July. Yes, yes. So does Congress need to do something like the Higher Act that one of our guests, Tony Gonzalez, has put forward or others to to put that into law so it's not just a one-off? Well, I definitely think that we need to have comprehensive immigration reform so that we aren't constantly doing this patchwork policy extensions. That has not happened for decades. But additionally, I think we also need to examine the root of this problem because if we are constantly engaging in foreign policy that drives people to our southern border. In this specific instance, uh, U.S. sanctions that were originally authored by Marco Rubio began and precipitated, certainly took a large part in the driving of populations to our southern border. Shortly after those sanctions, those broad-based sanctions— You're talking about Venezuela. Yes. Shortly after those broad-based sanctions were enacted, we started seeing uh, dramatic increases in these populations that were coming to our southern border. And so we have to address the root of these population movements and the migration crisis— and we also have to address the domestic U.S. policy issues when it comes to immigration reform. But, you know, the Maduro government has also been responsible for large Absolutely. parts of that. Are you saying that you want to rep you want the Biden administration to pull back pressure on him? I think we need to re-examine the nature of these sanctions. There are sanctions that are very specific. For example, the Magnitsky Act sanctions uh, that do actually focus on the decision makers and people who may be violating uh, norms, practices, civil rights, mm -hmm. but broad-based sanctions that punish the overall economy and harm everyday working people that are driving them into the economic and political destitution that force millions of people, uh, both not just to the United States, but even to our regional partners. Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey, as you know, has just been indicted on bribery charges. Mm -hmm. Should he resign? And what do you think of his statement that it has to do with him being a Latino? Mm. Well, you know, I think it's the situation is uh, quite unfortunate, but I do believe that it is in the best interests uh, for Senator Menendez to resign in this moment. As you mentioned, consistency matters. It shouldn't matter whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. The details in this indictment are extremely serious. They involve uh, the nature of, of not just his, but all of our seats in Congress. And while, you know, as a Latina, there are absolutely ways in which there is systemic bias, but I think what is here in this indictment is quite clear. And um, and I believe it is in the best interest to maintain the integrity of the seat. Uh, I want to emphasize that uh, all people are, they must uh, be extended the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. Some Republican members like Matt Gates, have threatened to try to oust Speaker McCarthy um, if he threw a motion to vacate. Mm -hmm. Would you vote with him as a Democrat? to get to 218 to oust Speaker McCarthy? I mean, I think uh, that we would have to cross that bridge when we get to it. Speaker McCarthy has been very weak. I think that he has also engaged in just 
absolutely terrible decision-making for the American people from uh, continuing to try to cement uh, denying the right to an abortion among women to the denial of uh, to policy that denies the reality of climate change mm -hmm. to basic fiscal irresponsibility and recklessness. We are at the brink of a shutdown right now. And so uh, absolutely, I think there is grounds. Um, however, we are also in the midst of an extremely chaotic Republican Party, and we do not want um, chaos to reign in Washington either. Congresswoman, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. We turn now to Texas Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez, who joins us from San Antonio this morning. Uh, Congressman, a lot to get to with you, but I want to start on that question of what we should brace for in the coming days in regard to a shutdown. You had said you opposed a short-term deal, a continuing resolution to keep the government funded um, in the near term. Speaker McCarthy's floated a 45-day short-term deal with border provisions added into it. Are you still a hard no? I think, uh, good morning, Margaret. Thank you for having me. Continuing resolutions don't solve the problem. They just kick the can down the road. And so we have to lock ourselves in the room and, and solve the problem. The, and the way you do that is by passing House conservative appropriation bills and working with the Senate. This is, I, I, I called it a month ago and I said, we're on a path to, shut, to a shutdown because Speaker McCarthy wants that and President Biden wants that. Everyone feels as if this is a political problem that they can just blame one another. Who's going to get hurt the most is American, the American public. So we have to come together yeah. and we have to pass appropriations bills. That, that's where I'm at. But in, in order to pass those 11 bills, only one's, one of the 12 has been passed, you need time. And then you got to send it to the Senate. Then they have to reconcile it. Then you got to send it to the president. You don't have that kind of time, most likely. So without signing on to a short-term patch, are you basically saying you want to see a shutdown? I don't want to see a shutdown, but in my experience, if you give Congress more time, they're just going to take that time. It doesn't time does not equal solutions in the exact opposite. If there is a hard cliff, then they're forced to come together. And that's what I think we need. We need to have a, a, a hard line that forces everyone to get in the room and pass these bills. I don't want to see a shutdown, but there is no doubt in my mind that the country is headed for a shutdown and everyone should prepare as such. Do you have confidence in Speaker McCarthy's ability to lead? You know, I wouldn't bet on Kevin McCarthy, uh, but I also wouldn't bet against him. Uh, I'm in a district where I'm just trying to keep my head above water. You know, this border crisis is very real. It, it's, it's, it, Margaret, it's very similar to when a school shooting hits your town. And, and sadly, too many Americans know what that's like. Uh, or a hurricane. And, and this border crisis as, is as if a, a Category 4 hurricane has hit. So I don't have the time to, to pontificate on political futures for other, other people. We're just trying to keep our head yeah. above water here in Texas. Well, if there is a shutdown, are the Border Patrol agents in your district prepared to show up to work at a time of migrant spike and not get paid? You know, that's the that's the ugly part of a shutdown is you're going to have you're going to have real people get hurt. But right now, Border Patrol agents are showing up to operate in processing centers. They're not out in the field, so they're not really doing their jobs and they haven't been doing their jobs. And what many, many agents have told me, you know what, Tony, 
Uh, right now, I mean, give you an example in El Paso, the, the facility, 200 Border Patrol agents are in that soft-sided facility uh, taking care of migrants, meaning they're not out in the field protecting America from bad actors. So in many cases, they, they might as well already be shut down. Who is preventing that? It's, it's a, the failed Biden administration. You know, when we talk about the border crisis, we know what the problem is. The problem is, is Joe Biden's failed immigration policies. We, we see the images, we hear the stories, but we never hear solutions. Let's, let's talk some solutions. One, I think the House should immediately take up the Homeland Appropriations Bill. You know, Republicans can't just be the party of rhetoric. We have to be the party of solutions. And there are some solutions in this bill. Uh, one of those is I've been pushing very hard and many of my colleagues to end catch and release. I have an amendment in that Homeland bill that ends catch and release. Another one is, once again, the Border Patrol agents, they're, they're out of the game. The, the, the folks that are doing the real work are the sheriffs and the deputies. And, and there's a program called Stone, Stone Garden, and, and there's a $10 million upgrade for that. This helps with manpower and equipment to help fight the border crisis. But the, the third piece, which I'd argue is the most important, yeah. is repatriation flights. And when I met with Secretary Mayorkas earlier this week, that's what I asked him for, repatriation flights, meaning if somebody does not qualify for asylum, you don't bust them to New York, you don't send them to L.A., you don't let them go other places. You send them back to their country of origin. If we do that, that is how the crisis ends short term. And then long term, there needs to be some movement yeah. on immigration reform and in Congress. But you can't do that with Venezuelans. Part of the problem here. Um, Secretary Mayorkas took the president of Honduras to, to the border yesterday. Uh, they have sent military members to work in offices. They've granted half a million Venezuelans these work permits, potentially. Do you support any of that? In my eyes, that's going the wrong way. 800, uh, 800 troops to the border solves nothing. They might as well be human cones if you don't allow them to interact with migrants. You need to send immigration judges to the border and get these cases heard in days and uh, not years. And if they do, do not qualify, once again, send them back. You know, the, the, the granting work visas to, to the Venezuelans, 500,000, by the way, it only makes immigration reform more difficult in Congress because essentially what you've done is you've, you've encouraged those that have come over illegally and these people have come over illegally into our country and you're giving them the access to, to, to work. It, it undermines everything that we're doing in Congress to try to come together. The real solution is finding Venezuela, working with Venezuela and other countries to to uh, to take back some of their people. I'd love to see Secretary Blinken. I'm going to meet with him next week. I'd love to see Secretary Blinken spend more time in the hemisphere mm -hmm. solving these difficult issues with some of our foreign uh, foreign allies and, and, and partners. Uh, Speaker McCarthy has said there are going to be some border-related provisions in this potential continuing resolution. You just laid out a whole bunch of things you want. If those are put on the table, would you change your mind on a short-term deal? You know, Margaret, there's there's a, a difference between uh, fantasy and reality. And I live in reality. My district is hit with the realities of this border crisis. So I'm not looking for a messaging bill that says all the right things and accomplishes nothing. It's once again why I sat down with Secretary Mayorkas this week and said, what are some yeah. real tangible things that we can accomplish today? So in my eyes, a, a, a continuing resolution that just has fake things doesn't get us any closer. What we need to do is draw a hard line in the sand and pass uh, appropriation bills and move that over to the Senate and work with the Senate to get this ultimately signed by the president. All right, Congressman, 
Thank you very much. And the time clock is ticking on that. (laughs) Face the Nation will be back in one minute. So stay with us. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We go now to Arizona Democratic Senator Mark Kelly. He is in Austin, Texas this morning. Uh, Senator, it is great to have you back on the program. Um, you just, Thank you. You just came back from Ukraine. And you met as well with President Zelensky this week here in Washington. Can Ukraine count on that $20 billion that President Biden is asking Congress for? Well, Margaret, thank you for having me on. Uh, This was my second trip to Ukraine. I went in April. I had the chance to meet with uh, commanders, uh, U.S. military commanders, Ukrainian, Polish. The aid that we are giving them is critical. If this was to stop, they would lose and Putin would win. Um, so I am you know, motivated to get this done in the United States Senate. There's bipartisan support for this in a CR, providing funding uh, for Ukraine. And um, so, I mean, we've, we've got to get this across the finish line or this would be a disaster. Uh, bipartisan support in a short-term deal, you said. Um, would you vote for a short-term deal if it didn't? Have Ukraine aid in it? You know I'm asking you this because the House, there's a problem getting this through. Hey, for for years when we've done CRs, they've been bipartisan. Senator McConnell feels like we should continue to support Ukraine. Senator Schumer as well. Working across the aisle in the Senate, you know, we can get this done. The dysfunction in the House is unprecedented. Um, Do you know who really cares about whether or not we fund Ukraine or not and continue to provide the support? It's the Chinese president. This has implications across the globe. Um, you know, I cannot, I, I, I spent some private time with President Zelensky, you know, just this last week and, you know, try to reassure him that this is coming. And if we do, if we fail at this moment, um, there's a chance that we, you know, a year from now, two years from now, we wind up in a situation where we could be in direct conflict with the Russians. We do not want that. CBS has confirmed that President Biden, in his meeting with President Zelensky, uh, said he would provide Ukraine with attackums. These are these longer-range surface-to-surface missile systems that would allow them to hit mm-hmm. behind Russian lines. The Ukrainians have been asking for months for these systems. Whether it was the F-16s or the attackums now, are you frustrated at how long it takes for approval to happen for these systems? Yeah, I mean, this conflict's been going on for a year and a half now. 
and uh, in the beginning we provided artillery, ammunition, eventually HIMARS, uh, F-16s are not like other weapon systems. They're complicated. You have to train pilots, you have to train maintainers. Um, I worked uh, with the administration on that. We've gotten them cluster weapons now. ATACMS is an additional capability. Uh, there were some issues we had to work through. Um, they've been, you know, stressing uh, the need for this over, over a period of time now, and we're at the point that we're going to provide them this capability, and I think it's going to be helpful. What restrictions should there be, you know, why the apprehension for so long? Well, an, an artillery shell goes about 18 miles, an ATACM missile goes about uh, 190 miles. So there was concern where, where and against what targets would they use them. We don't want this to e escalate. But we're at the spot right now where they need an additional capability uh, to maintain some more progress. The progress on this counteroffensive, it's been good. You know, I talked to Ukrainian commanders. There are things that are yeah. Um, you know, starting to provide some, you know, problems, but we're making progress there. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, should Senator Bob Menendez resign from his position? Well, these are serious and shocking charges, uh, bribery, corruption. Um, I've never seen anything like this. He stepped down from being chairman of the, uh, the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, that's a serious uh, step. I think uh, Senator Menendez is going to have to think long and hard about the cloud that's going to hang over his service in the United States Senate. Well, he is up for re-election. It sounds like you are drawing attention to some questions about that. I'm, I have to take well, a quick... Well, I mean, he's, he's going to be in... Sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to say he was going to be in court next week. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's got to figure out whether he can adequately serve the people of New Jersey. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We continue our conversation now with Arizona Senator Mark Kelly. Um, Senator, the governor of your state said Friday the state's overwhelmed. She was talking about migrants. We are on pace for a record number of border crossings. The vice president told me recently that the administration's policies are making progress. Do you buy that or does the administration need to change their approach here? Margaret, here's the thing. I mean, the border in my state and others has been in a crisis for, I mean, it's generations, decades now. And we have spent yeah. billions of dollars on border security, and it, uh, you know, it's still a problem. Um, I'm on the phone with mayors and sheriffs and uh, the Border Patrol agents frequently. I spoke to uh, Secretary Marcus about this just three times last week. Uh, they're making changes. Uh, border security is national security. Um, I'm really concerned about next week and the government shutting down. Uh, if there's a government shutdown, Border Patrol agents are not going to get paid. Uh, this is going to, I mean, if we think it's bad today, just think about what that looks like. Well, what is the real world impact of that? Tony Gonzalez from Texas was saying, you know, Border Patrol agents, he claims, are being prevented from doing their jobs in the first place right now. And so it wouldn't make that much of a difference. Why do you think practically it really would? Well, Border Patrol agents are on the front line of this crisis. I mean, so are, so are sheriffs. He mentioned sheriffs. But we've got thousands and thousands of Border Patrol agents on the border uh, enforcing our laws and, and also processing, you know, asylum seekers. If they stay home, I mean, this crisis will be compounded by an order of magnitude. Uh, you know, it's unconscionable to think 
uh, that Republicans in the House are going to allow the government to shut down under the circumstances we're under today. I mean, there's always been bipartisan support for stopgap spending bills. Um, having a government shutdown, I mean, it takes off, uh, you know, the growth of our economy is affected. Uh, it's going to affect our air traffic control system. If you're, if you're going to travel over the holidays and there's a government shutdown, I mean, that's going to impact you. Kids don't get meals when there's government shutdown. The military doesn't get paid. Um, so these things, these things are connected. We've got a crisis at the border. And what the speaker is allowing to happen in the House of Representatives could make this worse. Senator Kelly, thank you very much for joining us today. And we turn now to Robert O'Brien. He served as national security advisor under former President Trump, and he joins us this morning from Park City, Utah. Uh, Ambassador, it's good to have you here with us. Nice to be with you, Margaret. Thank you. Uh, I, I want to ask you about a number of national security matters, but I want to start on this idea of a potential government shutdown. Um, national security-wise, what do you think the message is to the world when basic matters of governance seem politically insurmountable and the government shuts down? Well, what we used to say in uh, the NSC and President Trump's administration was economic security is national security. And we've got too big of a debt, and we've got to get the debt under control. I think Speaker McCarthy's done a great job uh, and negotiated a good deal, and I think it would be great if the Republicans got behind Speaker McCarthy. But I understand why there's concern over the, the size of the debt, and I understand the, uh, the, the frustration of some of the, the GOP members. I mean, it's understandable. Yeah, but, I mean, Republicans have objected to even passing defense spending at this point. Aren't we in a sort of dangerous moment? Well, I came out in favor of passing the NDAA, and I think a lot of our other conservatives like Mike Gallagher and Mike Waltz and others did. So uh, I think we need to get that defense bill passed immediately. Okay. Um, you were the hostage envoy uh, under President Trump before you became his national security advisor, and uh, you did help bring three citizens home from Iran. This week we saw a number of Americans return in a very happy reunion. Siam Aknamazi, Ahmad Shargi, Murad Tabaz. Why wasn't the last administration able to get them out? Why is it so hard to bring home Americans from Iran? Well, we had unprecedented success in the Trump administration. As you know, Margaret, we brought home over 58 hostages uh, from countries all over the world, North Korea, Iran, uh, Russia. And, but we, we had a, a ground rule, we wouldn't pay ransom. And look, I was so pleased to see CMAC and Murad and the others come home. I, I, I felt like I failed them by not getting them home. But we weren't gonna pay $6 billion, we were gonna pay a billion plus per hostage because that creates a, a market for hostages. It, it makes your blue passport worth a billion dollars. And so I, I'm concerned that Americans traveling abroad are gonna be targeted by countries like Russia and China and Iran but also terrorist organizations who know that they can get a, a big ransom if, if, we, if we pay these sorts of, of fees, and, and we just weren't prepared to do it. But we had unprecedented success bringing Americans home from all over the world. The other, the other, the other issue, Margaret, is what is Iran going to do with that money? We saw this mm -hmm. with the JCPOA. They, they took that money and they spent it on terrorism and on ballistic missiles and on nuclear programs. I'm afraid they're going to build more drones that kill Ukrainians with the money we just gave them. So uh, I, I'm thrilled to see CMOC and Murad and the others home. 
but I'm, I'm very concerned about the, the look of the deal internationally. Well, as you know, the current administration would argue that those funds are being held in a restricted account in Qatar, just like they were held in a restricted account in South Korea under the Trump administration, where Iran did have access, though they had difficulty getting to that money. Why is that not a sufficient level of protection? Well, the, the president of Iran came to the UNGA last week and said he'll use the money any way he pleases, that it's the government money of the, of the people of Iran, and he'll use it however he wants. Uh, and, and we have to understand, Margaret, money is fungible. Yeah. So the, the, the money that they're spending now on children's hospitals and on food, they'll use that for the military and for terrorism and take this money and, and re replace it with the other program. So money is fungible. This money is going to the Iran regime. It's a terrorist yeah. regime. It's the largest state sponsor of terrorism. And it's going to kill a lot of people, unfortunately. Should travel be banned to Iran? I, I, I believe so. Absolutely. The problem is, is this happened after the JCPOA when we paid hundreds of millions per hostage. The price went up under the, for the price went up from Obama to Biden. But uh, as soon as they let a, a couple of hostages go, Jason Rosar and others, they just restocked the pool of hostages. They went yeah. and took a few more dual citizens who were visiting family in Iran, and, yeah. and took them hostage. So we've got to stop Americans going to Iran. But we've got to start thinking about Americans going to China and Russia as well, where they're taking hostages and using this against us. Um. I want to ask you about national security uh, as it relates to the upcoming U.S. election as well. Um, you have been very clear that Joe Biden won the 2020 election. You helped with the transition of power between administrations. CNN reported you considered resigning after January the 6th. Is that report true? That, that's an inaccurate report. I had never considered resigning. My, my feeling as national security advisor is that you took the job for the good days and the bad days. And... Uh, that was a Abraham pretty bad Accords. day. That was a bad day, but you know we we had the Abraham Accords, we had Serbia Kosovo, we got NATO to spend money defending themselves, which is now helping Ukraine. So President Trump had a really really successful foreign policy uh, run, but the, but there are bad days too, and that was a bad day. But I was going to stick around for the president and for the American people, and, and I fortunately I had a lot of senators and congressmen who reached out and said, "Please stay. We've got foreign adversaries, China and Russia. Yeah. We'll want to take advantage of the chaos." And so Mike Pompeo and John Radcliffe and myself, the national security team, Chris Miller over at Defense, we stuck around and we sent a strong message to the Chinese. We sent a strong message to the Russians that the American people are united, that we're, we remain fundamentally strong, and we're not going to let them take, take advantage of any domestic uh, uh, political discord in, in the United States. And well, I think that served the president well, and I think it served the American people well. Well, given uh, Donald Trump's role in uh the events leading to that day, I wonder if you would serve in a second Trump administration. Look, I, I, I had a great run as national security advisor and as a hostage envoy, and uh, I, I served the country well, I, I think. And, uh, but, but you always have to wait and see what the president of the United States asks you to do and what your family wants to do. But I grew up in a household with a, a dad who was a Marine and uh, a mom who was a big patriot. And by the way, it's her 80th birthday today, so happy birthday, mom. And uh, my, my feeling is if the president asks you to serve and I've got kids who are serving in the military, you salute and say yes. So, but that's really up to President Trump if he wins, which I, I, right now, according to the Washington Post, he's up by 10 points. So it looks good for him. But uh, that's up to him and my family. You don't have any doubts? Well, I think there's going to be a great team. And I, I think we need to return. America looks weak now. We're not weak. We're fundamentally strong. But America looks very weak right now. We have to return to a posture of peace or strength or we're going to have... Uh, real problems with, with China, with Russia, with Iran in the future. And so I think uh, anyone who believes in peace or strength and is asked to serve and has experience mm -hmm. to do so should, should 
do so and defend America. Absolutely. Um, and I know you cannot talk about the details of the two investigations brought by the special counsel, Jack Smith, um, because you were subpoenaed. So we have to leave that part of the conversation there. Um, Robert O'Brien, thank you very much for uh, joining us on Face the Nation. We'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Ukrainian President Zelensky and his wife Olena visited Washington last week to press the case for more U.S. assistance in Ukraine's fight against the Russian invasion. We spoke with the First Lady during their visit with the aid of a Ukrainian government interpreter. We began by asking her about what life is like for Ukrainian children. Unfortunately, only one-third of Ukrainian children can now attend school because our schools have to be safe, to be located in safe areas, and we need schools with bomb shelters. And my foundation continues fundraising uh, resources to ensure that we have comfortable bomb shelters in all Ukrainian schools. Well, the rest uh, of Ukrainian children Two-thirds continue going to school online because they live in in the front line areas. Many children left Ukraine, they live abroad. When children were leaving Ukraine, sometimes they could only take their documents with them and left everything behind. That is why both children and teachers require laptops, require iPads to continue education, and we receive a lot of support, including from our American partners. You spoke at the United Nations, and you said to a gathering of leaders there um, the horrific sexual violence being conducted by the Russian military, including against children, a four-year-old child. What was it like in that room when you shared that? We say that there are sexual crimes committed by Russian occupiers, and this is a war crime. Leadership of the Russian army allows Russian soldiers to do this. This is something they commit consciously. They try to threaten population in Ukraine to demonstrate that they are in charge. When we address people from many countries and share these terrible numbers with them, indeed you see 
pain in the eyes of those people, you feel horror, but this is not enough. We have to unite our efforts to ensure that those who committed those crimes face justice. Sometimes people are concerned, this is a taboo in many cases to say that and acknowledge that you've been a victim of a sexual crime. You need to be truly courageous to let others know that you be become a victim yourself. And people will only start talking about it when they will see that those who committed those crimes have been taken to justice. We know from witnesses, from uh, people who saw those crimes being committed, from neighbors, that in some villages all women were raped. But not all those crimes have been documented, because there are people who do not want to officially uh, provide evidence about those crimes. That's a powerful statement. You need to be courageous to admit you've been a victim. You know, your, your husband, President Zelensky, uh, said that genocide is underway in Ukraine. He said Russians had elected their own Hitler. These are powerful statements. And I wonder, given the stakes of what you're talking about, how you think about, in a capital like this, debate over whether to help continue Ukraine or not. Well, clearly, it is a natural reaction of any individual who lives in a country which became a victim of genocide. You become deeply concerned that some people cannot understand what's going on. But we hope that all Americans understand what's going on, and we do not believe that this assistance that we now receive from Americans will stop. Of course, there are political debates, there are discussions, there are different opinions, some people agree, they disagree. This is a democracy. But nevertheless, truth has to win, because it is clear that truth is on Ukraine's side. Part of genocide is destroying a culture, and you've been working to get Ukrainian books mm -hmm. out publicly, so the Metropolitan Museum of Art, getting things okay. translated. Is that your way of fighting back? It is one of the ways for us to demonstrate who we really are. Culture is also the area of the battlefield. We see that the occupiers want to destroy our culture. We see hundreds of libraries which have been burned by the occupiers. Thousands of museums and cultural institutions have been destroyed. By destroying our identity, they just want to destroy our nation. And that is why we have to inform about our culture, and this is an important vector of our work. The president also said Ukraine knows the names of tens of thousands of children and has evidence hundreds of thousands of other kids have been kidnapped by Russia. Do those children get to know their culture 
what happens to them when Russia takes them and, and how do you get them back? We know about 19.5 thousand children who were officially deported. These are the children who are currently on the occupied territory and we know that cases have been documented, they have been taken to Russia. We managed to return back approximately 380 children. We have the list of children who are being looked for by their parents. There were a lot of children who studied in uh, orphanages and boarding schools, and those boarding schools were taken to Russia as an institution. This is a true pro problem because these are kids Sometimes they do not fully understand what's going on. It is easy to manipulate them, manipulate their emotions. Almost all children whom we managed to return to Ukraine told us that in Russia they were told that no one cares about them in Ukraine, that no one is looking for them. They've been preparing them for adoption on the territory of the Russian Federation. So they tried to make them leave their roots, so to say, made them forget that they're Ukrainians. Of course, children who have almost reached their adulthood, they have great understanding of what's going on, but small children can be much more susceptible to this Russian disinformation. And that is why when we spoke at the United Nations, we proposed to develop a new system of joint efforts that would make Russia return Ukrainian children to their country. We are responsible for these children. We cannot play with those children's destinies. It is not human. There's a warrant out for Vladimir Putin's arrest because of this program. Well, this was a very powerful political statement, and we very much hope that one day this statement will be fully implemented. I do want to ask you, um, you were a comedy writer before the Former. war. Former. Former. Yeah. And now you have this extraordinary life and circumstance, and you've sacrificed a lot uh, with your family. Do you get to spend time with your children and your husband together as a family? No, I have no complaints. Because when you see what's happening to people close to you, the problems of our family cannot be compared to those things which are currently faced by other Ukrainian families. Children die, children are being killed. The president lives at work. Sometimes we see each other once a week. Sometimes we see each other several times a week. But my children next to me, 
and I'm confident that we will overcome because we know what is the goal, what is the final goal. We have to see our victory. We have to see happy faces around us. When people in America think of Ukraine, they think of President Zelensky and your family. How would you feel about him running again in 2024 if elections are held? <laughs> well, you know, this is a very difficult question for me. You know, even when he ran for the first time, I didn't fully endorse it. But if he runs again, when he, if he runs for the second time, if he decides that it is necessary, well, we have some experience, we've been there. It is not as scary as, as it was in the first time. I don't know whether he has made this decision or not. It will depend on the situation in our country and the situation and the possibility of organizing free and fair elections. It will also depend uh, whether our society would need him as a president, if he will feel that Ukrainian society will no longer wish him to be the president, he will probably not run. But I will support him, whatever decision he takes. Whatever decision. Madam Forsetti, thank you, Madam Zelenska, for thank your time. You. Thank you for your time. You can watch our extended conversation on facethenation.com. We'll be back in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. Until next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were New York Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Texas Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez, Arizona Democratic Senator Mark Kelly, former White House National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, and the First Lady of Ukraine, Olena Zelenska. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern, and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 
Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.